0: You are listening to the Resonate Church sermon podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at Resonate.net. Hey Resonate Church, it's so good to be with you today. My name is Chris. I have the honor and privilege of being one of our pastors here at Resonate. Very thankful that we're walking through uh, the book of Acts in this sermon series, I love this book of the Bible so much, and it's because I love the church so much. I'll be honest with you, my affection for the church has not always been there for my whole life. But as I started to follow Jesus more and more, about 12 years ago, uh, Christ changed my heart and began to give me new affections, not just for following Him individually, but for being a part of His corporate body in the church. And a big question that we're asking in this series is why should you even bother with the church? Like, Why does this even matter? And, and one of the ways that I want to be able to answer this, and we're going to look in Acts chapter 6 to be able to see uh, maybe how the Holy Spirit would have us to see why the church is worth bothering with. Um, but one of the things that I see that is prevalent all throughout Acts is that the church was designed to be a change Agent for culture. There are so many implicit things in the New Testament that reveal to you just by the way that people acted or the way that the situation panned out that maybe there was never an explicit verse on it. So many implicit times in the New Testament that you see a high value of the church in a beautiful vision. For the church, and along with the entirety of the New Testament being this implicit recognition of the power of the church when God uh, sends His Spirit to His people, redeems them, and brings them together, there are many explicit experiences in Scripture where the Holy Spirit caused the writer to actually put pen on paper and say, "This is why the church matters. This is why the church is so significant. This is why you should bother with the church." And I'm not sure there is one more striking. I'm not sure there's one more explicit or more striking than Jesus's own words in Matthew chapter 16. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Why should you bother with the church? Well, because the gates of hell don't even have power over the church uh, I I've thought about the movie, The Lord of the Rings, and the third Lord of the Rings movie. Um, the the main character, one of the main characters, basically has to fight the bad guys. Uh, if you've not seen it, okay, there's good guys and bad guys, like any story. Uh, the good guys employ all of these soldiers who are actually, um, from. they're actually dead. Um, they're like zombie soldiers, they're ghost soldiers. And they employ these soldiers because... Um, if these soldiers fight against the bad guys, the bad guys aren't going to be able to kill them. So like they would like try and hit them with a sword or with a spear or with a bow and arrow and because they're ghosts it goes right through them, but the ghosts can actually like, you know, kill the bad guys and they do, they massacre the bad guys. <laughs> and, and there's this I think this thing that happens like Jesus almost in Acts, or in uh, Matthew chapter 16 says like not even the not even the armies of spiritual darkness can prevail against the church. Not even the thing that can beat physical, the physical realm can prevail against the church. Nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth has the power to topple God's global church. So why should you bother with the church? Well, the church is the only organization or the only group that's ever been promised that that's ever had that uh, speaking over them or given to that promise. Apple was not promised that. Tesla was not promised that. Google is not promised that. No, they have influence in this world, but they don't have invincibility in this world, which is what Christ spoke over his church. You will not be overcome. You won't. Nothing will prevail against you. And so because of that, The church is supposed to do things in society that other organizations that don't have that promise cannot do. The church can risk big things because in the end, we know we don't lose. The church has the power to do that, to be a change agent in culture because it cannot lose. So it's supposed to do things that everybody else doesn't do. It's supposed to do things that look otherworldly compared to other organizations, like multiplying at inconceivably urgent rates. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you talk to like good business practice or scaling. Oftentimes, the multiplication of the church and what we saw happening when it comes to movements, it, both in Acts and in modern day movements, doesn't look immediately at face value like wisdom. But if you were to ask the question, what would you do if you knew that the church would not lose? You might find yourself saying, well, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go for it. The church is supposed to do things that other organizations are not supposed to do, like allow its members to be persecuted. Now, that's not gonna fly in your workplace. That does fly in the church. That happens in the church. In fact, it's a catalyst for future growth of the church and progress in the kingdom of God. I recall a quote from a man who said, the blood of the martyrs is the seabed for the growth of the church. That looks different than culture. We're supposed to be different than culture. We're not supposed to look like every other organization. What we'll see in Acts 6 today is the church does something that no other organization does and that's the dirty work of serving the needy because transactional relationships are not in God's strategy for growing his kingdom and extending his gospel across the globe. His strategy for growth and kingdom extension is not, is not set on transaction between two individuals. And because of that, the church can enter into spaces and environments in society where nobody else will touch. Nobody else will put their hands on. We'll see this in Acts chapter six. Let's go there together. Acts chapter six, this is verses one through seven. That's where we'll be today. Acts chapter six, verse one. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected In the daily distribution. And the 12 apostles summoned the full number of disciples, and they said, It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose a man named Stephen a man who was full of faith and of the holy spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolas and it, who is a proselyte of Antioch these they set before the apostle the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of god continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Crazy story. Very crazy. Whenever I read these early chapters of Acts, I'm so intent because I recognize the, sometimes what can seem like fragility when something that's a new, a new ministry work or a new work of God that is coming forth. I, I see like every single decision is massively important. Every single verse in these chapters is like, man, if, if they make the wrong call, if they don't follow the Holy Spirit, if they do something that's unwise, this whole thing can get stopped in its tracks. That's, that's, that's my thought initially. And then I remember the words of Jesus that nothing is going to stop this. And so it may be that although there was foolishness, and although there was sin, and although there were wrong moves, the sovereign hand of God is over the church. In these early chapters of Acts. And so I love reading these early chapters to see what did God do to preserve these people? How did he grow them? How did he take them from such a small number in one place and project that over 2,000 years to now where we find ourselves in the billions of Christians in every single known country? How do we get there? In Acts chapter 6, we see a really baby church in Jerusalem that is coming up against a seriously difficult problem for them. And here's the problem. They're growing too fast. They have too much growth. They don't know how to organize the growth that they're experiencing. I mean, imagine that problem. That's a good problem to have for the early church, right? The gospel, despite persecution, despite false claims about these individuals, despite violence being spoken against them, despite laws that are coming up into effect, and emperors who will rise up to try and snuff out Christianity, there is growth happening at such a fast level that they need to organize. You got Jews coming from the dispersion to Jerusalem and and they they understand who Jesus is for the first time and and they're converted, they know Christ. And then they go, well, what are we gonna go back to? We don't wanna go back, all we have is Judaism back there. We're gonna stay here because this is where the church is. And so you have people coming from all over into Jerusalem. Uh, A few chapters later, God will scatter that back out again this is what's happening here. And not only do you have people coming from the outside, you have people becoming Christians for the very first time. New evangelism, new death to life, new disciples. And it's happening at exponential rate. So out of this pain point, the question gets posed, how do we effectively love and serve one another, another to be the body of Christ when there are so many of us How can we possibly care for one another in the way that we know is Christ-like and godly when there are so many people that have needs, so many people that are hurting, so many people that need help? Uh, Have you ever felt this personally? You ever felt this? I feel this often, actually, that there are so many people that are a part of our church, both locally and, and non-locally, uh, spread out amongst our network, that, I mean, any one person's problem, my, per- my problems, my individual problems are enough for the entire church to take care of and tend after for a long time. That, that's just me. And so you add in dozens, you add in hundreds, you add in thousands of people, and you have a much large problem, a much larger problem. The church functioning here like an organism, like a living, breathing, relational thing where it's messy and it's chaotic and there's running happening and there's response to the, uh, to the wild voice of God, the Holy Spirit who does not follow uh, what they know, any trends at the current moment. They're just responding and running and growing and it's organic and it's an organism. And also there's a need for organization. There's a need for organizing the organism. We see this, this need for both of those in the church. Uh, some of you might tend towards the organism and just go, man, anything that has structure to it, I just don't think that's even Christian. I, I think that's just domineering and authoritative, and I, I don't think that's necessary. That's not how Jesus would have done it. And I would say you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> from Acts chapter six, but some of you fall on the total other side, and you're like, "We need so much organizing. We need so much. Uh, so we need so much structure in here. Every single thing needs a place. Every single thing needs to be predictable. Every single thing needs to know where it goes and when it happens and how it works, and that it's it's well done in this structural way, so that uh, so that we don't even maybe need to see the chaotic happen anymore." And I would say you're wrong from Acts chapter 6 no this 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 uh, body of christ is both organism and organization and we need both from the church what we see here is that there's a recognition of need a recognition of need and a pain point within the church that triggers some some new some new life uh, some new ministry opportunities within the church a new branch springs out from the body of believers uh, a brand new experience for what it looks like to potentially serve the church springs out here and people who had not previously been in responsibility places of that significance find themselves taking high responsibility over something that is very very necessary. And the apostle's answers to the pain points that the church is experiencing is not, hey, just shut up. Don't you see that God's moving? Just, just, just shut up. Just stop complaining. Stop it. We're, we're going somewhere. Oh, that's not the apostle's response. They, they hear pain points and, and they, they turn back and they go, what's going on? And they recognize that this is something that needs to be solved. The answer is not stop complaining. The answer is not, hey, hey, just just turn a blind eye to that. No, the answer is something much more significant. So let's zoom into what this answer is. Here's a problem. Widows are being neglected in the daily distribution. That's a problem. People going hungry. That's a problem. That's an issue. I mean, this is is a physical need that is happening in the life of the church. And, And for the church here, In Acts and for the church today in modern-day America, the presence of physical needs should spark ministry creativity and passion in the hearts of individuals and a willingness to engage the issue. Wherever you see something like that, you see an opportunity. An opportunity for new growth. An opportunity for a new experience. An opportunity for a new type of ministry to occur. And this is what's so different than maybe the, the way that a, a business would approach an issue like that. Because when a business thinks about launching something new, oftentimes the main question is, where is the financial opportunity for us? What's this going to do to our bottom line? How do we maximize our profits, minimize our costs, and allow us to continue to sustain? Is this something that can allow for us to benefit financially? That's not the question that's asked here. That's not how they approach this problem for the church. The church doesn't approach the problem that way. And also the church does not approach the problem to ask the question, where is the beautiful scenery? where is the most uh, the most helpful geography towards us what place or what type of people can spark our uh, our, our current comfort level That's not the question that they begin to answer. They don't ask the question, where can we find political alignment? We'll do something when we can find political alignment in this. No, they're not doing it for geography, they're not doing it for financial uh, benefit or gain, and they're not doing it for political alignment. They ask the question, where is there neglect? Where is neglect happening in our church and in our community? That is a driving question for the believer who knows Jesus now. When they see the church, when they see their community, they're not driven by the question any longer. Where can I make the most financial gain? Or where can I go? What can I do to experience the most uh, the, the most alignment geographically? Where, where do I like the topography and the views? And we don't ask the question, where has the greatest political alignment to us? Or where, uh, where are the taxes the least for us? No, we ask the question, where's the neglect happening? Where's the significant need happening? There's neglect physically. Like... The fact that people aren't being fed there's neglect spiritually like the fact that there are places that experience an absence of gospel presence but for you as a christian to answer the question in your own heart where do i see neglect where do i see uh where where, where do i see a, a massive hole of the hand of god where do I see a place where the church could insert itself in? That people could come in and tangibly express the goodness of God, but they're not for some, for some reason. I'll tell you this, uh, as the church grew out of the early chapters of Acts and into the early, um, the, the early phases of the church, interacting with the Roman Empire, uh, there was actually a rumor about the Christian church, that the Christian church was filled with cannibals. They're filled with cannibals. The reason why this rumor came up in society it was talked. the Christians, if you didn't know about them, it was a common rumor that Christians were cannibals. And the reason why is because the group of Christians and the churches of Christians so commonly took orphans and took babies who had been neglected by society out of the neglect and folded them into the life and the daily distribution of the church to the point where the rest of society said they must be eating them. They must have a violent disposition towards them. There's no way that the church can care so much about about orphans, about children who have no Mothers are no fathers. They couldn't understand the fact that because of the love of God and the adoption of of, of us as individuals because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we would now see people who need him and we would go to them and adopt them. The church had this crazy rumor about them. Asking where in our society is there neglect or is there a significant need in a physical or in a spiritual sense is such a good exercise for your soul. It's such a good exercise to help you see the world differently than your neighbor sees the world. Your neighbor's not thinking about that. They're not. They're thinking about the bottom line. They're thinking about geography that they like. They're thinking about political alignment. They're not thinking about where there's neglect happening in society around them. I recall another story about a church that asked this question, where is there significant need in our society? And what they found was that many people in their city had significant medical debt. And they looked at what resources they had to offer. And they said, actually, we have a ton of money that's not being used right now. What if we applied the surplus that we have towards the people that have a significant amount of debt, medical debt. And then they called local hospitals and they asked, can we pay off the debt of people in our city? And the hospitals were shook. They couldn't believe what they're hearing. And at the end of this, they get to, this church gets to write letters and send them to the home of these people who had been year after year receiving bills from the hospital. And one day they get a letter saying, hey, this is your local church, insert name here. We've taken the initiative to recognize your need, recognize where there's a hole and we want to pay off your debt for you. Man, can you imagine what that would do to the heart? Can you imagine being in that position. It's because there's a non-transactional relationship that Christ requires us as Christians to operate with in society. And that doesn't make sense when it comes to growth. It doesn't make sense that this sort of life of servanthood, it doesn't make sense that asking where's the neglect and the need could actually grow the church. That's nonsensical, but it's the way Christ has designed his people to live and to learn the process is god's people seeing a tangible need and rising up to fill the gap i think about a vector if you remember taking a math class or a an engineering class uh, a vector is a line that has both direction and magnitude direction and magnitude to it. The church is a force for tangible good to be done in the world. That's the direction of the church. Tangible good done in the world as a result of these people who are banding together to be able to uh, eliminate some needs in the community around them or in the church around them. This is not just towards lost people around them who are not a part of the church. Man, here we see people who are actually a part of the church. Where is there a need that you can utilize to bless the city? Where is there a need that if you were to think about how we could step in as a church, would bless the church? I actually wanna give you two minutes right now. I wanna give you a a few minutes to turn to to a person next to you and answer this question. What are some tangible needs in your city that the church could step in and begin to help alleviate. Why don't you take a couple of minutes and ask that question right now? Turn to somebody next to you and ask them, what do you think? I hope that was helpful i hope that was insightful for you I hope it was encouraging just to even see the city through that lens for you the next thing that i think is so significant from this passage in acts that we see um, comes a, a few verses down therefore brothers pick out from among you seven pick out from among you seven significant pain point the response of the apostles is not stop complaining. The response of the apostles is, hey, we're moving forward. We don't have to worry about that. The response of the apostles is not, it's also not, oh, there's a pain point. We must deviate to solve this pain point within the church. No, the response of the apostles is this, to pick out seven new people, to fulfill a ministry responsibility, who are not apostles, who are not the original 12. Where are we inefficient in our church? Where are we ineffective in our church? Where are there needs that are going unmet in our church? The solution that the early church employed was to invite new people to solve those needs. This may be challenging for many of you who have grown up in an American Christianity that has largely um, ascribed the the work of ministry to be delegated to the pastor or people who are on staff. We don't find that model present in the Bible. We don't find it present in Acts chapter 6. The solution of the early church was to commission seven new people. And in doing so, it catapulted the growth of the church. Do you want to see Resonate Church grow? Well, one strategy for growth is to get in the game if you are not in the game. And another strategy for growth if you are in the game is to look around at who's not in the game and invite them, to, to appoint them to the work of the ministry as it's said here. And this is different than just asking people to serve. I'm convinced that Christ is not only uh, desiring his people to become the type of people who serve, but there's actually a greater level of maturity there that is not just, hey, why don't you serve? Why don't you see a need and step in and fulfill that need? But going from being a person who serves and serving to being a person who becomes a servant, a person whose heart transforms into a servant. Uh, That distinction might not make much sense, but here's a quote from Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. When we choose to serve, we are still in charge. We decide whom we will serve and when we will serve, but when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when We will serve. We become available and vulnerable. See, I think God is driving into the hearts of his people this, not just to serve, but to become a servant. Not a person who only says, hey, what's available out there? Maybe I'll pick and choose and see what I want to do. But maybe the type of person to say, where's the need? I'll fill it. Where's the gap? I'll fill it. Where's the hole? I'll be there. Where is there a lack? I will insert myself there. This is an incredibly biblical and godly thing to do. And this is different than the organization next door because it's non-transactional. Non-transactional means you never outgrow your serving. You, You never get to a place of prominence in the church or a role in the church or a role in God's kingdom where you've hit your servant ceiling. You never work yourself out of a place of serving. Man, we want you to multiply yourself. We want you to invest in the next generation. We want you to actually work yourself out of a job, but then we want you to find a brand new place to serve because there's so much need. And this is helpful when it comes to driving, not just a person who serves, but becomes a servant-hearted person. The, The church is a, force that is tangible for good to be done in the word and world and that's the direction but the way it happens is by employing every disciple for christ for the work of the ministry and that's the magnitude the direction is we change the world because we take on stuff that other people don't want to touch and we do it for god's glory and as that happens there's a recognition that something is different about those people but The magnitude of this comes when every single disciple of work gets in the game for ministry. I've seen over my last 10 years of working for Resonate that there really are two types of church people. There's one type of church person who maybe comes in and checks out the church. And what they're looking for is something that the church offers that they can then take part in. And if they don't see that thing present, then they go, well, this must be the wrong church for me. If there's not a singles ministry in this church, this must be the wrong church for me. And then there's an entirely different class of of church person, I think, that I've recognized. And that's the person who, when they come to check out a church or see a church, they look and they survey the ministry opportunities and they ask, is there a need? And when they have a deep conviction about something, and they see the church missing and lacking in that thing, they don't see, this must not be the church for me. They say, this must be the church for me. This must be why God brought me here, It's so that I can edify and grow the people of God in this way, in a way that I care about so deeply, and this is not the, the, the green light for me to go find something new. This is the green light for me to insert myself with my whole heart in this way. So the question I think for you, um, if you're asking a question like, hey, when is this thing going to change? Or, or when are we going to see this thing spring up? Or when, when is this thing going to start happening in our city? Wouldn't it be amazing if we did this thing? The question I think shifts to who has a good reputation to be able to do this? Who is full of the Spirit of God? That can do this. Who has wisdom? They should do this. Who is willing to be appointed? They should do this, and that's the model of Acts chapter six. I want to give you one more moment, interactive moment, uh, for you to turn to somebody around you and to ask this question: What's something that you could organize in the next six months, twelve months? Maybe not the next two days or the next two weeks. But what's something that you could organize? in the next six months that could touch a need in our church or in our city. Not solve it, not completely eradicate it, but just touch it, affect it in some way. I wanna give you a couple minutes to think about that right now. I hope that as you take the opportunity to think about where needs are and how you could fulfill a need potentially, that this is so life-giving to you. You probably can't do it by yourself. You probably need a team of people around you. We would love to hear about what you see and how we can empower you to make that thing happen in a wise way, in a sustaining way. What we see in Acts here is that the, appointing, the recognition of the need and the appointing of new people to to, to solve that need. What did it do to the church? It pleased the whole gathering. Everybody saw this and went, that's, that's the right way to do that. That, that's how we don't even have a lot of experience at this point in the church, but it it pleased the people. There was unity. Everybody was pleased about the same thing. And, And sometimes, Unity in the church comes from collectively aiming towards a mission together. And that's one of the hallmarks of what we believe as Resonate. And sometimes a forward mission, it actually helps people know when they belong and when they should go check something else out. But oftentimes, collective unity as a church all together, aiming in the right direction, pleases the people of God. When people are involved in that, and it's not just a few who take responsibility, but the responsibility is laid on the whole to move forward, that's a beautiful thing. What else happened? The people were pleased by this, but what else happened? The number of disciples increased. That is a beautiful statement, is it not? When you think about doing something that affects your church or affects your city, my challenge to you would be, Maybe not to think about how you by yourself can solve this. And not, not, maybe not to think about how you by yourself can hit a pain point or, or eliminate a need. Not just random acts of kindness, but how can you organize something? so that long-term, tenured ministry, year after year, can start up and flourish, and there's space, not just for you to clear your conscience so that when you walk by that thing, you go, okay, I I I just don't wanna see this need anymore, so I'm gonna solve it. But actually, to, to have a living, thriving, functioning, breathing, growing ministry that blesses people, that organizes generosity, that organizes servanthood, and, that allows for the environment to develop new disciples. And wouldn't that be incredible if the thing that you are thinking about that God's laying on your heart right now doesn't just eliminate the need, no, but it actually causes the growth of new people in the kingdom of God. The solution to both ineffective ministry and stagnant ministry in Acts chapter six is getting more believers in the game. And that's my encouragement to you. So as we leave, I want to give you a vision for your MC or a vision for your village. Um, You're you're not primarily a group of people who get together to talk about spiritual things. That's not really why villages exist. You're not even primarily a group of people who get together to arrange your internal world. You are an organized and appointed group of people who are commissioned to tangibly express the love of Jesus towards people with physical and spiritual and psychological needs. That's your village. That's what your organizing principle should be. That's what we're praying would happen in the people that you do life around. But I'll say this, beware. If this is a vision that you begin to live into, beware, this happens only at the expense of the flesh. The only way this happens is at the expense of the flesh. Why? Because this is an incredible amount of work. A ton of work. This is gonna be exhausting. This is gonna cost you so much. This will take on emotional hurts for you. You will be infected by the problems of other people. There's nothing sexy about serving people who are needy or impoverished or stinky or ill or, or, or needy in any way. Uh, several years ago, we launched a, a new ministry opportunity in, in Resonate that uh, was basically commissioned to go serve the people who live in this trailer park uh, in the city next to one of our churches. And we would sign up college students to go over there and interact with the kids who lived in this trailer park. It was very impoverished, uh, uh, very underfunded. Um, And and one summer, I signed up to go to interact with these kids. And when I get there, there's one kid who just latches onto my leg and won't let me go. (laughs) And we're there for like half a day. And this kid is like trailing me everywhere I walk to lunch. He's trailing me. He's latched on. He, I mean, he's grabbing me on the back. He's climbing up my back, wrapping his arms around my neck. He, I mean, he's putting his legs on, on the back of my shoulders to give him a piggyback ride. And he will not let me go. He's not giving me any space. And he smelled like urine. He really, really smelled he's climbing all over me and he's having affectionate play with with somebody maybe for the very first time or maybe for the first time in a long time and I am cringing because he smells and I know what this smells mean I know that he's, he's got it on his clothes and I know he's all over me and I'm just cringing on the inside and my spirit went yes this is so Christ-like for you Chris This is what you need when you're in college. That's what my spirit said and my flesh said, no way you're ever signing up for this thing again. This is the very last time that you go because you deserve a ministry that smells good. That's what my flesh said. So beware. To be the church that has any significance in society, to be the church that tangibly meets needs, that is non-transactional, it will come at the expense of your flesh. It'll come at the expense of the flesh of every owner if we want to be this as a church resonate. But in doing so, if we do it, we will incarnate Christ. We will show and reveal his true character in a way that is totally alien to the world of the transactional society that you and I live in and swim in. Your clothes will smell like the sinner. The, the entryway of your home will be covered in mud of the footprints. Your shoulders will be drenched with the tears of the sinner. The lapel on your shirt and and, and and your shirt and your sweatshirt will be covered with their snot and with their dirt. Your mind will be troubled with their issues. Your phone will be full of their needy messages. And it will take your mental health and it will take your emotional health and it will take your time, which are three of your most significant non-physical assets. But in doing so, you will incarnate Jesus. Jesus Himself, who at great expense to himself, immersed himself with sinners. And as you do it, you will come to know him and you will know him better than a hundred monks who never traverse down the steps of their monastery into the world. You'll know him better than a thousand pastors who never walk down the steps from their pulpits into the lost world. And you'll know his words, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Can you say this about your life in your city, about your life on your campus? My prayer is that the effect of Acts chapter six would be significant on you. And when you ask why bother with the church that this is a picture, a tangible expression of Christ for how you and I change the culture around us by meeting significant needs and by employing the people of God that are around us. Resonate? May it be so with us. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.